And then we will go to Romans 16, or sorry, Proverbs 16. And I'm going to read the first six verses here. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All of the ways of a man are pure or right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. So just keep those verses in mind um, in light of where we'll be in Romans 1 this morning. And uh, especially that phrase, uh, everyone did, um, or what everyone does is right in his own eyes. Uh, but the Lord judges or weighs the heart, the spirit. So just keep keep that phrase in mind as we read through Romans 1 this morning. So that's where we're going. Um, Romans 1, let me pray for us. And then Sean's going to give us a, a summary here of, of where we've been so far. And then Sean, I know you mentioned maybe something we might have glossed over in verse 23. You might want to uh, bring to the surface. Um, and then we will pick up verse 24 and roll from there this morning. So Father, we love you so much. We're grateful for how good you are. We think back to Genesis 1 and 2 and we think of how you've created everything with such order and beauty and design. It's all singing your glory and your praise, all about your handiwork and how skilled and creative and generous uh, you are in, in your creation. And so even the way you've made us, Lord, we just marvel and we are just so grateful for the way you've made the human mind, and the human heart, um, everything about us, Lord, we know is a gift from you and how you've made us. Pray for help this morning as we walk through Romans 1. Uh, we, we desire to be men and women who, like Paul, our prayer is that we would not be ashamed of the gospel. But we would realize that this, the gospel, is the power for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. And so, Lord, we want to be so filled up by this good news uh, that at times has has a fair share of bad news packed into it about what's in our own hearts. May we not be ashamed of this, though. May we boldly proclaim um, the tough news with the great news um, and, and be just filled up with a zeal for others to know and experience and be rescued by your work, Jesus. So thank you for your word. We humble ourselves before you and we're ready to learn. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, Steve. Yeah. Um, can I get, uh, I'm going to read 1 through 25 uh, just to recap it and talk quickly through it says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations including you who were called to belong to Christ Jesus, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, 
Grace to you and peace from God our Father, Jesus Christ. I'm going to stop there real quick. Um, I want you to notice that um, in verse 1 through 7, Paul's laying out the gospel for us. It's a, it's a very clear, simple gospel message. But the next part that we're going to read, um, Paul's really answering the questions why we need the gospel, what happened, why we need to be saved. So let's, um, I'll go ahead and read 8 through 25. It says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often attended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to the fool, excuse me, to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So again, Paul is establishing the gospel here in the first, uh, really, 17 verses. And, and now Paul's going to explain to us why we need the gospel, what happened with mankind. And so moving on to 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of man, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, uh, actually, let's stop there. So if we look back over, we look back over one to seven, again, Paul is laying out the gospel clearly that this is, this is salvation. And then he's telling us in the next set of verses what salvation is and why we need it. And Paul's telling us plainly that the sinfulness of mankind, um, we foolishly elect to turn our face to, from the obviousness of God, which is plainly shown to us in his, in his creation. In other words, he's making it clear that the problem isn't that truth is unavailable to us. It's that we don't want it and that we elect to suppress it. Um, this should be ringing bells with our Genesis group. We see that in Genesis 3. We see that in Genesis 4 with Cain and Abel. Um, we see it in Genesis 6. And so what I want you to notice is the deterioration of mankind each time he elects to take a step away from God or turn his face from God. We suppress the truth that's been made clear to us. Um, we knew God but didn't honor him. And the effect is that we fell into darkness and, and our, our hearts became empty and foolish and dark. And so the shift or the deterioration is that we moved away from the wisdom of God and embraced the wisdom of mankind rather than God. Does that make sense, guys? Mm -hmm. okay. And so I want you to notice that Paul's using a lot of they language when he speaks of the people, and he's writing to the Romans. 
Um, but he's really speaking about humanity in general, and specifically, he's talking about you and me. And so this is going to be a this is going to be a tough read as we move through this. So just just keep in mind that 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 it starts with um, suppressing the truth mm-hmm. and electing to turn our face away from God, and it's going to deteriorate from that. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Sean. Um, yeah. Well said. Really well said. Um, it's fun working with Sean. He's really good at kind of going back and summarizing things, which is so helpful to, to let it sink in a little bit, which is one reason we, we are okay with and kind of like going slow is because by the time we finish chapter one here, we'll have read it, I think, four, maybe five times and have kind of summarized it. And so hopefully it's ingrained. And Romans especially, you'll see Paul is so good at at argument, rhetorical argument, that every kind of chapter of thought stacks upon the, the last idea he left with you. So the more we can kind of summarize and let it sink in, now the next chapter will make make some more sense. Um, so, and, and Sean, I like what you said too about it's not that the truth was unavailable to us as humanity, it's that we chose to reject it or suppress it. I think that's a really, really important truth. Um, so remember last week, we kind of talked about, just for remembering sake, we, we used three R's, um, that the truth has been revealed, uh, the truth has been rejected, and it's been replaced. And so revealed, first of all, God has revealed his truth. He's revealed his character of who he is and what he's like. And we talked about, specifically in this passage, Paul's talking about through creation. God has shown humanity who he is and what he's like. So that as we see all of creation singing and pointing to his glory, we can have an idea of who God is and what he's like. That truth has been revealed. The other two is, as Christians that we would hold to is that God has revealed himself through the inspiration of his word um, that we study here this morning. And then the incarnation of the living word, Jesus, uh, who walked with us 2,000 years ago, became human. And so God has revealed himself to us so that we can know who he is, what he's like, and have relationship with him, um, what it means to live righteously and, and be right with him. But as, as Sean said, well, as humanity, we have rejected that revelation. We have rejected that truth of who God is and what it means to live rightly. Um, I like how, how Micah puts it. If you look at it in the prophets, a man by the name of Micah will say, he's shown you, O oh humanity, what is good. Um, to walk justly, to love mercy, um, and to walk humbly with your God. And we've rejected that. We said, no, I don't want to love justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with, with my God. I want to live my way, which we're going to see this morning. Um, and then the third thing, so revealed, rejected, and replaced. Um, Paul's language for this that you'll see over and over is exchanged, right? We've exchanged the glory of God for our own or for that of, of images and idols. Sean, you want to say, I think, a little something about verse 23 before I get into 24 about images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Did you still want to say I, something about that? I, I kind of covered it. My, okay. my point was, was actually a, a verse or two back talking mm. about the shift in uh, not considering God worthy of glory and electing to turn our face from him and moving away from his wisdom and moving toward the wisdom of man. Okay. So that's, that's kind of what I wonder. But Dave, before we move on, I do want to touch. Um, 
hopefully this is hyperlinking you guys back to Genesis 3, remembering when Adam and Eve elected to exchange the wisdom of God for the wisdom of mankind and, and eating off of that tree rather than trusting God's definition of good and evil. We see that in, in, in chapter 4 as well with, with Cain when um, God warned him. He said, if you continue down this path, bad things are going to happen. And that's exactly what happened. It spiraled out of control very quickly. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're, um, Paul's kind of setting us up to see how that spiral affected mankind here. That's good. Yeah, you see all kinds of echoes from um, from Genesis, and and that's one thing. You know, as, as Sean brought up verse twenty three. We didn't talk about it last week, but it made me go back and read it because Sean mentioned it. Verse twenty three talks about we've exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Just real quick before we move into verse twenty four, think about how that echoes from Genesis one, two, and three. Um, the, the sad and ironic part, if you guys remember, is that God made what already in his image? He made us as humans in his image. And so as, as humanity, we're supposed to represent who God is and what he's like. We're supposed to be these living, breathing images of God so that as we are fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, uh, the earth is filled with his glory. It's filled with fruitful people who represent who he is and what he's like. And so when humanity turns and we make our own idols or images, um, we're, we're doing the very opposite of what we we're made to do and to be. And then, and then it takes another step of irony where we're not only making images of, of humans that we worship, but we're making images of birds and animals and creeping things. Do you guys remember from Genesis, what, what were we called to do? We were called to rule over, to, to manage, um, to have authority over the birds, the animals, and the creeping things. So Paul is, is kind of spinning all that upside down and showing us what, what has gone wrong, how things have been flipped upside down. All right, verse 24. Uh, will somebody read for us verse 24 and 25? And here we begin to see what happens when humanity has rejected and replaced the revealed truth of God. Therefore, God gave them up. <clears throat> Go ahead. Can you read? <laughs> Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So um, you guys remember we wrapped up last week and I just said, hey, make note of that phrase, God gave them up. You're going to see it three times, uh, verse 24 here, verse 26, and verse 28. And then John mentioned also, uh, is it verse 27? Yeah, verse 27 uh, a similar phrase is used. So, so pay attention to that. Uh, so God gave them up, uh, verse 24, 26, and 28. Um, this translates as he handed them over or gives or gave them over. Um, in other words, God gave us what we wanted. Uh, we reject him. We wanted to replace him with things that we think will make us happier or bring us more freedom or uh, a better life than God can offer us. And, and we, we reject God and he says, okay, 
Um, let's see how that works out for you. <laughs> and um, kind of the, the language Paul is using here, uh, it's not pleasant or pretty in any sense, but in, in the Roman Empire at this time, right around, it's estimated that the time Paul writes, close to 60% of the Roman population were slaves. So you've got 40, about 40% of the population owning 60% of the other population. And this language of giving up or handing over is this picture of a runaway slave, someone who runs away from their master and they end up in the hands of another uh, master and they begin to live with them. And the original master who had the slave run away from him could say, uh, kind of had three options. He would give the, the master three options. And, and this is harsh, but this is, this is the world. Is The first option is this, the slave has run away, so just kill him. Uh, the second is you can buy him from me if, if you find him useful. And then the third would be, hey, can you just keep him uh, until I can make arrangements to come and bring him back? Um, and that third one... Uh, is the language Paul's using, hey, keep him until I make arrangements to come and bring him back to myself. But in the meantime, work him as hard as you want. Um, while you've got this slave until I come get him, um, make him regret that he ever ran away. Um, I'm handing him over to you until I make arrangements to come and bring him back. Like I said, it's not pretty, it's not harsh, but it, it's it's the reality of the history we look at. And so this language is, is that, that handing over, giving over. And if you follow that kind of idea a little bit, what you see is, is God saying, okay, humanity, if you want to reject the truth of, of knowing me, your good master, your good king who made you, who made you with purpose, who desires to walk in relationship with you, if you want to reject all that and walk away, I'll let you fall into the hands of another. And uh, I'll let you experience what, to, what it's like, what you thought would be freedom ends up being falling into the hands of another cruel master. Uh, think for a minute of maybe a parent of a teenager, this rebellious teenager who will no longer listen to the, to the rules of, of the house, this teenager that, that uh, will no longer listen to mom or to dad or will really wants nothing to do. And so they're kind of sneaking around. They're breaking all the rules. They're wreaking havoc in the house. And uh, the parent, uh, not necessarily recommending this as parenting advice, but I know it's been done. The parent says, all right, you're out of the house. You want to live according to your own rules. Um, you can find your own house. <laughs> you can pay your own rent. You can pay your own cell phone bill, your own gas money, all that, and, and let's see how that works out for you. Um, in many ways, this is the, the giving up that God is allowing as we reject his truth, we reject good and right relationship with him. He allows us and hands us over to another cruel master and says, um, let, let's see how that works out for your humanity. Uh, would you guys, Sean, anything you would add to that or any questions, thoughts as you look, you guys look at that phrase? No, I'm just taking notes on what you said. It's really good. Cool. Cool. Anybody else? Yeah. So it looks like the new cruel master is their own, uh, evil hearts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Could you uh, elaborate on that a little, John? <clears throat> well, I just really kind of recognize that, but uh, uh, that's who their new master is, and mm. we know that the heart is desperately wicked, and uh, there's no good thing in it, and so to be a uh, slave to your own impurity um, and lustfulness is true bondage. Mm. Mm-hmm. Dave, I wonder... This, this reminds me of later in uh, uh, either Colossians or Ephesians when it talks about um, a person in the church who elects to, to go astray. And it talks about uh, allowing them to, um, to, to uh, basically turning them over to Satan for the mm-hmm. destruction of their flesh, but the salvation of their soul almost... The idea, like John said, turning over to their own sin, and hopefully at some point there, God's going to bring them back. Yeah, it does. I, I, I'd like to look that up. I don't know where that reference is either, but it sounds like similar language, right? It does. Of, um, yeah, the, the context, if I remember right, is um, basically excommunicate them so that they so miss being with brothers and sisters in community that they will finally leave their sin behind to come back and be in community because the sin was was eating at and corroding like the the unity of the community right so yeah yeah may may you know to John's point your point may the sin in our hearts become so gross and so enslaving and may we be filled with so much despair at how defeated we are by our own depravity that we just cry out for freedom. Oh, I want to be free, uh, which sounds a little bit like a chapter later on that Rome uh, that, that Paul will get to. Um, and keep in mind, too, as, as John brings up, um, it the new slave master seems to be our own hearts. This is one that uh, is a that's a as we go through Romans, you'll see that our own hearts, you'll see this idea of sin, and obviously Satan. And so just keep that in mind of like, um, who's in control of our hearts here? Who's in control of our decisions is is an important question to ask as we work through Romans. Um, let me read verse 25 now again. So because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So notice again, that word exchanged or replaced the truth about God for a lie. So you see that change uh, that Sean kind of introduced us to this morning. Um, Let me ask you this. So the truth was replaced by a lie. I would even say the lie, not just a lie, but the lie. What's that lie Paul is talking about in verse 25, would you guys say? And let's that they I, I are, that oh, they go, are go. their own God. Yeah. That they are master of their universe. Mm-hmm. Once again, I, I see echoes of, of Genesis 1, 2, and 3, right? So I thought it'd be good for us just uh, for context. Let's When Paul talks about exchanging the truth about God for a lie, or I, I would say the lie, and worship and serve the creature, creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. 
Let's just go back. Would somebody turn back to Genesis 3 and just read the seven ver- the first seven verses? Genesis 3, and <clears throat> I believe this is the lie that Paul is talking about that was exchanged um, or took the place of truth in Genesis 3. Whoever gets there, could you read the first seven verses? Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of it its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Thank you, Connie. So once again, I think Connie said it well before before reading Genesis 3, but what would you guys say? What was the lie here? Um, What was the key kind of lie that took place in the garden? And if nobody has anything, I'm going to pick on Sean because he's taught this one once or twice. <laughs> yeah, Sean, what would you say? How would you explain maybe the lie that takes place here in, in the garden in Genesis 3? Well, I think, I think as we progress through those seven verses, we see multiple lies. Mm-hmm. Um, we see that um, God has not provided everything that we need. We see that, um, that as Connie said, we want to be our own God. And that we are, um, we have the ability to save ourselves. We have the ability to, to, um, to, to, yeah, save ourselves. We're good enough. We have a goodness about us that we're able to save ourselves through this. We, and we don't need God. Mm. Yeah, that's good. It reminds and me. Our, I was reading last night on this passage, and one of the things that they brought out was the fact that Adam and Eve already knew and had everything they needed mm. in that garden. And the, right. the deception of the serpent was that they needed something else, mm. something more. Hmm. And they didn't. They had it. Yeah. But they didn't realize it. Wow, that's well, cool. and hiding something from them, right, Connie? That, that there was something better that they could have if they only seized autonomy and ate themselves rather than rely upon God. And that's really right. that's really the whole whole thing is is they're standing in front of the tree and the question is, are you going to trust God or are you mm-hmm. going to elect to do it yourself? Mm-hmm. It's amazing to think that, you know, here we are a couple thousand years later and yet that truth holds today of mm-hmm. we have that same decision standing in front of the tree every day is what God provided enough, you know? And John and Connie, I hear you guys use the phrase, and I, I love it. It sticks in my mind all the time. Christ is enough. And, and the question is, do I believe that? Is God's provision for um, what I need in, in Christ, is that enough? Or am I still looking for more? Am I still looking for something new or different? Or 
is he enough, uh, I think is, is one of the questions we, we ought to ask every day. And that's what led to, you know, this, this first sin is, well, there must, not, there must be more. You know, God must be holding something back. Maybe God's not completely good, right? Um, reminds me in many ways of um, one of the early church uh, leaders in uh, what, third or fourth century, Augustine, talked about this idea of being either curved inward or outward. And what he meant by that is from the very beginning, you see in Genesis 1 and 2, God is an outgoing God. He is he is loving, he is generous, he is creative. So everything God does um, as the source of life pushes out from him. He's, he's like this overflowing fountain of life and love and creativity and generosity and kindness. That's who God is, is um, life flows from him to all of creation and to us. And then he creates us in his likeness, in his image, to be outgoing creatures, to continue to be creative, to continue to be loving, to continue to be generous. We're, we, uh, His love flows through us into the, to the world and around the people around us. And so Augustine called this um, to be curved outward. That's what humans were meant to be, is to be outgoing the way that God is in our generosity. But what took place in Genesis 3 is we curved inwardly upon ourselves. So everything that was supposed to go out instead curved inward, and now everything is about us. So now rather than loving others, it's all about loving myself um, and taking care of myself. Is, is or don't we that hear that place. a lot? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's not a phrase used much nowadays, is it? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, self-love, self-care, self-help. Uh, think about how much has just curved inwardly here. So that's where Paul's going here. Let's pick up verse 26 as we look at when man curves inward upon himself in his own heart. What happens? Would somebody read just verse 26 through 28? 26 through 28. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged the natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what not, what ought not to be done. All right. Thank you, Sean. So um, once again, when we curve um, and, and everything becomes about us, and to John's point earlier, uh, see verse 26 again, God gave them up. So we, we reject the truth he's revealed to us. We replace it with a lie. And we believe that we get to be our own gods, that we get to be the, the captains of our own fate. And, and to John's point, now our hearts, our own hearts, become our new, cruel slave master. When our hearts are controlling us, uh, what's one of the first things that Paul wants us to see that happens to humanity and to society? What's, what does Paul highlight in 26 through 28, would you guys say? Well, I'd kind of like to go back to verse 18 to answer 
look at your question, it's um, it's a cause and effect. Mm-hmm. Um, Satan, who was unrighteous, suppressed the truth. We bought into it, mm-hmm. and then um, when when we as individuals or society suppress the truth, then we have to believe a lie, mm-hmm. and we choose to believe a lie, and so. You know, is it was it John uh, chapter eight? I think it is. Jesus said that you, you shall know the truth, and the mm. truth shall set you free. Yeah. And so, um, the first thing that we do in our own minds uh, is sinful individuals is uh, is downplay the truth, mm. and then um, pretty soon, you know, we, we suppress it with you know, well, I deserve this, you know, mm. and, and I can do this this one time. But it, it has a cause and effect on the heart. And it changes the heart to where we, when we begin to engage in these things that we're suppressing, um, our minds become um, dead and our spirit becomes dead. And, and then we, when we hear the truth, we have to deny it mm-hmm. in, in order to not be guilty. Mm-hmm. So... Um, and then it, it, the ultimate thing is, is when we do this and do this and do this, uh, God gives us up to our passions. Even believers who walk away, he will allow them to um, have their own way mm. until they're broken, you know. Yeah. And they're done that. Yeah, yeah. Mm. That's well said, John. Really well said. Anything you guys would like to add to that? I like John John's language of cause and effect because I think mm-hmm. we see that um, in 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 this where it starts off with they knew God but didn't honor Him and they became futile in their thinking and then it moves into um, they didn't see fit to acknowledge God mm-hmm. so previously it was they they knew God but didn't honor Him now they're not even acknowledging God and we see the degradation mm-hmm. just fr- from that point onward it just continues to get worse right yeah. Yeah, because if we don't acknowledge him, if we try and attempt not to acknowledge him, then we we trick ourselves or lie to ourselves that we won't be held accountable by him, right? The farther we can push him away, the more I can do what I want, be my own God, and not be held accountable for it. Um, and John, to your point, and... and um, the, the cause and effect, I, I think, once again, going all the way back to the garden, Genesis 3, the cause and the effect of the truth being replaced by the lie. And so when we studied Genesis, Sean did a really good job of this. I had never seen this before, but it really helped me kind of think through Genesis of the, the order that God sets from creation from the beginning is, is obviously he's, he's the king. He is the king over heaven and earth, the creator of all. And then he makes man in his own image. Um, and then he, he says it's not good for man to be alone. And so he makes man a helper. He, he makes uh, a, a woman beside the man. And then he tells the man and the woman uh, to enjoy marriage, to be united, to be one flesh, um, and together rule over the earth, manage it, partner with me, right? We've talked about that idea of partnership, partner with me in managing and cultivating and keeping this good earth, but you will rule over the animals. Um, and so there's this clear kind of order 
that God sets in place as he is over us. And then the man is to, to lead uh, um, lead the woman and to serve her, but to lead her, to lead the relationship, right? As, as she submits herself to him. And then creation itself is submitted to the leadership of the man and the woman together. So there's this order to things. Um, and, and Sean, if you could, if I could pick on you again, you've kind of highlighted how Satan's attempt is to flip all of that upside down. And we see that take place there in, in Genesis three. Do you mind speaking to that a little bit? Yeah. Um, yeah, we see that, that the, 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 the smallest of the creatures approached God's greatest creation being mankind, we mm-hmm. see that we see man um, obeying or listening to the creature rather than the creator, as we see here in, in, in Romans as well. We see um, Satan approach the, 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 the woman mm-hmm. who, the, who was supposed to be led by the man. We see the man obey the direction of the woman. Um, which everything is literally just shifted upside down. Mm-hmm. Everything is shifted upside down from the from the beginning of that uh, interaction in in three one mm-hmm. uh, all the way through probably the the fifteenth verse or so. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that was a new. I'd never really seen that within Genesis, but it's so valuable, especially as John talks about cause and effect to recognize what's happening there. That Satan will go after everything that God created good and try and twist it and pervert it and flip it upside down, right? And so that's uh, what we see here back in Romans 1, 26 through 28, is God created sex to be a good thing. God created uh, it to be this, this intimacy between a man and a woman, this oneness, um, this partnership between a man and a woman as they reflect the glory of God, as they serve Him, and then also is together they rule over the earth. And so this good thing that God created, um, when, when the truth is replaced by the lie, the cause and the effect is that the goodness of sex gets perverted. It gets twisted. It gets flipped upside down. And so what we would say is in Genesis, there's a very natural order. And I use that word natural, as you can tell very specifically. Here's how God has designed things to be. Um, and God has, has given sex to be uh, this gift to be enjoyed between a man and a woman, and also uh, the ability to be fruitful and mul- multiply and fill the earth. So this gift from God um, is attacked by the lie and twisted and perverted. And so Paul wants it to just clearly lay out there that it's a perversion of that Genesis 1 and 2 goodness um, and there's an unnaturalness when a woman sleeps with a woman or a man sleeps with a man. Paul is saying that is a flipping upside down of what is good. The order that God set in place in Genesis 1 and 2, uh, when man rejects that truth and replaces it with a lie, when <clears throat> the cause and the effect of that is this perversion towards uh, desiring one another and that was never supposed to be. And so you see uh, Paul in, in verse 26, the women exchanged natural relations for those who are contrary to nature. So natural, the way God had set things to be between a man and a woman, then um, 
are flipped upside down and and humanity starts to go against the grain of how God had set things in order. Uh, verse 27, men likewise gave up. There's that, that phrase, gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased man, mind to do what ought to not to be done. I just want to maybe just stop and think for a minute how our society has done this. Um, if you were to follow maybe just the past several decades, and some of you that have been around longer than me could probably speak to this better. But let's just take, for example, um, maybe just our entertainment. And just think over the past couple decades how quickly our entertainment has moved and has attempted and has been very successful in moving the needle of homosexual relationships going from unnatural to natural. Think about over the past couple decades how, you know, if a homosexual character was introduced in a TV show or a movie, it was funny, it was kind of poked at, it was kind of made fun of um, to have a homosexual character in there. And then over time, little by little, what started as funny became more um, regular and normal. And then now to the point where in our entertainment and media, it's expected. Uh, matter of fact, uh, just recently, Hollywood came out with some new metrics of if you want funding for your film. I don't know if you guys heard about this, but if you want funding for your film, and you want any sort of awards or recognition for your film, um, one of your top three characters has to uh, be gender fluid, has to have kind of be leading wow. the charge of, of kind of this gender moral revolution going on. And so you have to fit these specific metrics of, um, of the way things are moving. And so... Uh, this is this is no accident. This has been going on in our society for quite some time of of taking what is unnatural and and moving it kind of frog in a kettle type thing towards being not only uh, accepted and and embraced, but now also, which we see later on, um, verse thirty two, which we'll get to, is those um, other everybody else gives approval to it meaning everybody's cheering on this flipping upside down of what was unnatural has now become or an attempt to make it natural um, to the point where we now celebrate the bravery of um, someone like Bruce Jenner becoming Caitlyn Jenner, right? We celebrate the bravery. I, I read in a second grade textbook a couple years ago, Billie Jean King, a, a lesbian tennis player, being the pioneer of the lesbian movement. And she's celebrated in a second grade textbook as a hero. And so this has been a work, you know, moving from unnatural to natural to celebrated. And so um, I, I want to maybe just pause there and, and maybe just open it up and say, I, I want to I spend time on that because it's so valuable for us as Christians to recognize this to see what's happening in front of our eyes, and then also to know how to engage in conversation about this. This is something I want to get better at because it's it's not going away. Um, and, and the question is, um, how do we love people who are so lost and confused right now 
uh, there are so many people, and it's becoming more and more common, that are just so uh, hurt and confused and trying to find their identity. And they're being told in, you know, second, third, fourth grade that, you know, they can start exploring whatever gender they want to be. And just think about what a generation coming up is going to be so lost and turned around of, of where's the order? What what should my life be about? And so as Christians, this is so valuable for us to know what the truth is and then how to engage somebody with love and, and walk through this with them. So I just want to open it up to you guys. What are your thoughts as you hear that? Um, what are you thinking? What are you seeing? Uh, we, we may get to verse 29 through 32 here, um, but if not, I, I think this is such a valuable conversation for us to have. What do you guys think? I'm looking for a book right now. It was written by a lady named Rosaria Butterfield. Yeah. And um, she was a professor, and she was uh, a lesbian. And what changed her was spending time with a pastor she happened to meet who was just a friend. Mm -hmm. And he walked through, I think, like two years of life with her. Mm Um, and just loved her. And um, that is what caused her. She said the thing about homosexuality is this whole idea of hospitality. Mm -hmm. They invite everybody in. Everybody's welcome, you know. Um, And it just, it was uh, something that she really appreciated. And this pastor... um, did the same to her when she was hurting. Mm. So anyway, I'm trying to find her book here. I just recently, I, I hadn't heard of her before, but Connie, I'm glad you brought her up. I just uh, listened to a, a podcast of hers mm-hmm. a few weeks back. And um, she did. She said that she probably had a couple hundred dinners with this pastor and his wife in their home before she ever attended his church. Yeah. And she said that's where she met Jesus uh, mm-hmm. is over a dinner table where she felt safe to ask all kinds of questions and try and figure out who she was and all these things. And so it's just powerful to think of, and these are the conversations we could be having, um, inviting people in. Because, I mean, the reality is, as, as Christians, we want people to come and be a part of our church community, but it scares them to the average person to death to just walk into our circle. But man, if, if we can have them over the dinner table and say, Hey, let's talk about this. Um, how powerful that can be. So Connie, did you find that or I haven't yet? I'm still looking. Okay. Maybe if you, if you do at some point, drop it in the group text. Um, but yeah, she's a fascinating woman and just, just, yeah, you can tell she really believes in the idea of how um, hospitality can completely move somebody from feeling out, you know, outside and un- unaccepted to a safe place where they can walk through these mm-hmm. kinds of conversations. Um, yeah, what? Anything else you guys would say as you look at these verses? Um, well, I think this has gone well beyond. Yeah, it applies to the homosexuality thing. Yeah. We've gone well beyond that. 
I mean, we yeah. are of this attitude that we can do whatever we want. Mm-hmm. And that the First Amendment says that I can do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. And the writers of the Constitution specifically said, no, that is not what we meant by that. Mm. And so, I mean, it, God, our, we have a society now that just says, well, I can do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good it's, point, Dave. That's one of, oh, go ahead. Sorry. It's me, 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 me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you see when we're focused completely on ourselves, this unraveling, right? And all of us, and and don't let's not forget. Um, and this is why I say, as we have conversation about, you know, homosexuality and transgenderism, we can never forget that Paul is looking at us and asking us to look at our own hearts. Every human heart um, has this potential with it to just unravel on ourselves, right? This downward spiral that Sean talked about, um, and and we can never forget that as we as we hurt for those who are just so confused and so lost, um, we can't forget how much pain they're in. I've just been thinking about that lately. I think sometimes as Christians, we just, we kind of want to take back the control and say, what's happening to our society? How come this, these movements are getting so much power and, 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 uh, you know, momentum and, and it becomes a battle between Christians and homosexuals. And that's where we go wrong where we got to recognize is, oh, these are hearts that have been given up, um, that are unraveling and they're lost and they're hurt and they're confused and they need Jesus so that they can find their identity in him. Um, that's the battle is, is, is the truth. They got to know the truth. Right. And I think you were going to say something, uh, earlier. Yes. Um, I was going to say that I've heard, um, on many occasions, sadly, where people talk about their homosexuality. And uh, some of these people have made this conscious uh, decision to live this lifestyle, and they justify their decision by saying that it's due to free will, that God has given them the free will to to do this. And mm-hmm. so in, to the point that they've even found <clears throat> in the, this homosexuality lifestyle is supported. Yeah. And um, one of my co-workers was saying that in the previous church that they were in, there was this um, homosexual that was a member of the church and um, he was, uh, you know, allowed to continue attending the church mm-hmm. to the fact that he doesn't act on it. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, what's the difference between acting on it and not acting on it when when deep within themselves, they they know that it's wrong. Mm-hmm. But they, even though they don't act on it, it's in their heart, it's in their thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of like suppressing the truth. Yeah. Well, what would you say, Anne, or I'll open this up to the class, because I would hope in our church that, um, and I have had these conversations, and, and obviously it'll stay anonymous and so forth, but I would hope that... Uh, we as a church would know how to be a place where somebody who is wrestling through the feelings of homosexuality, um, that they would know that they're loved and embraced at our church, but that we draw a very clear line of God's heart for them 
to find their identity in Christ. Um, what do you guys think that looks like for us as a church or as followers of Jesus to be that kind of community? That's a tough question. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know that it's one that can be answered on yeah. the spot. Right. And I right. think it's different for generations too. Yeah. I think what our generation is comfortable with or whatever is different for your generation and, and how we handle it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, it, it goes back to the, the idea that we're all sinners saved mm-hmm. by grace. You yeah. know, um, I don't think we can say, you know, um, homosexual sin is different from heterosexual sin outside mm-hmm. of marriage. Mm-hmm. You know, it's sin. Sin is sin. Right. Connie, can I interrupt real quick, though? I think Please. there's something interesting about um, about the sexual sin and specifically homosexuality. Uh, up until about a year ago, I, thinking through sin, um, there is. it seems like there's no other sin that's actually championed for. Um, like Dave said, you know, there's, 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 um, um, parades and, and, and a really a pushing of an agenda. Whereas I don't really see that with other sin. Um, that seems to be, at least for, from my perspective, the only, the only big sin that are, big, big sin, that's wrong word, my <laughs> but the only sin, um, that, that, that seems to be, um, thwarted upon us uh, in, the, in the same manner. It's, it's championed for, whereas um, other types of sins still seem to be somewhat, somewhat hidden and maybe kept quiet. Well, I certainly think, I think it's any kind of sexual sin. I think between a, a man and a woman, it's just become so commonplace now. It's like no brainer, mm-hmm. you know, you know, the, the, your first date, that's what you do. It's yeah. like, Really? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just so different from, um, from my, what I believe and what I grew mm-hmm. up believing to, you know, a different generation. It's just commonplace. It's the norm mm-hmm. that's become the norm. And now homosexuality has been celebrated and become the norm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess, I guess my, my point in that is that I don't see, um, living together or having premarital sex is actually celebrated as much as the homosexual homosexual agenda is literally celebrated. Like, and he's, he's we're going to talk. Or, uh, Paul's going to talk later about um, uh, about not just accepting these things, but giving approval and, and promoting these types of ideas. Yeah. No, I agree completely. It is. It is celebrated and. And unfortunately, you know, some who claim to be Christians go to their marches and enjoy them just as much as anybody else. It's mm-hmm. like, you yeah. know, heartily give approval, as you said. Yeah. yeah. Dave, I like that question. How do we how do we care for them or how do we show them? How do we show them Jesus? Yeah. I think that's something we each need to be thinking about. And as Connie said, it's very situational, but yeah. it's something we, we should have a plan for, for sure. Yeah. Just, yeah, it's something, and I don't know that you quote unquote have like a policy for it um, as much as like, hey, here's what's you write that up, Dave. (laughs) You know, 
because uh, it's so case by case of just loving people. Like, you know, the example what Connie brought up with Rosaria Butterfield, it's this, it's a, it's a man and his wife um, engaging with a woman and inviting them over for dinner and having conversation. And it, it wasn't a church policy as much as just saying this woman is trapped uh, in her own sin and, and uh, brokenness. How do we love her? And how do we point her to, to the truth? I would hope that as individuals and a church as a whole, we, we could just be really good at that. Um, whether it's homosexuality or you name, you name it, right? Um, but I think it's just such an important conversation because I don't, I think as Christians for maybe a couple decades now, we've aired on two sides of we're just kind of too embarrassed to talk about it because it's just kind of awkward to talk about. Or we just kind of put it in the camp out there of like, well, it's it's a gross sin and, you know, there and if we've made it a... Um, we've made it the battle, like we battle against, like I mentioned, against the homosexual, like LGBTQ plus uh, community. It's us versus them. And I think as Christians, there needs to be a shift there where we can engage in these conversations and be really loving, but also very strong in, in where we stand. Um, it's just hard. It's, it's really hard um, to, to do this well, but it's worth it. Um, I want John to maybe and, just end on, or go ahead. John and Sandra Hopkins had an opportunity mm. to um, get to know a, a homosexual gal. And why don't you tell them, and this was over how many years, honey? Oh, at least three years. Um, struggled with severe depression, anxiety, you know, certainly the bondage and, um, she was in her early 30s, and she ended up having two heart attacks in ICU mm. um, at least three times. And she was in, in my office uh, recently, and um, she got into a program, a Christian-based program, and uh, came to know the Lord. and. Uh, after my visit with her was ending, she said, will you pray for me? Mm-hmm. And I said, you pray for us. And then she, she said a prayer like she knew what she was talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, so it happens. Mm-hmm. It happened. And I think it is uh, the, I think it's best done personally um, by individuals in the church, you know, yeah. having them over there and loving them. Um, at the same time, as, as Dave said, you know, how do you, do it well that you, if you don't speak out about it as a church and as, as an individual believer, you're in effect suppressing the truth. Mm-hmm. When, you, when we cower back from saying um, uh, God calls homosexuality a sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't have to say it's a sin because the Bible says it is. Right. And so, um, you know, how does that work out of the Belvedere in, in, in our teaching, in our, in our preaching? Mm-hmm. Uh, do we always take a soft line of we're going to love them to the kingdom without and and then say we don't want to run away anybody away by preaching the truth, right? You know, and so um, we've got to be very careful in our own personal lives and in um, 
in our corporate church to not suppress the truth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's good. It's good. Can I read (coughs) from Charles Sindal's book of Romans, on the studied book of Romans? Um, He wrote, God gave them over to degrading passions. Paul wrote this letter from Corinth, a city that lay in the shadow of the temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love, beauty, and sexual pleasure. Uh, The temple housed prostitutes who enticed worshipers from the farthest reaches of the Roman temple. So infamous was the city's reputation that um, they highly valued priestesses and honored them as guests at public festivals. Greeks and Romans um, valued virtue above all, yet they turned a blind eye to adultery and openly condoned homosexuality. Mm-hmm. In the Greek culture, <coughs> male was expected to maintain a same-sex affair with a much younger partner. They considered it as necessary part of education. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it can get worse. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, to your point, Connie, it's like it can get worse, so let's be prepared. But also, uh, nothing new under the sun. You know, our mm-hmm. our culture, our current society doesn't catch God by surprise. Uh, yep. It's a joy for us to think about when we turn from our own sin and we receive salvation, and then we get to have these conversations with people who um, are trapped in their own sin like we were and like we can be, um, that we get to point them to life and truth. And that's that's where the hope is. I was going to get to it, but probably more next week. But one of the reasons we focus on the word exchange so much, um, as Paul talks about it, is, is later on in Corinthians, he, he talks about this idea that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And uh, Martin Luther, uh, 500 years ago, said that uh, he called this passage in 2 Corinthians 5, the great exchange. And so while we exchange the, the truth for a lie and we spiral down into sin and depravity, uh, Jesus took all this upon himself and was punished for the sin that we deserve to be punished for. We'll get to it later in Romans 6, but um, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. This great exchange, we deserve death, but Jesus died for us instead, and so we get life. We were unrighteous and yet he gives us his righteousness, this great exchange that he offers to every human being. And so as we have these conversations about homosexuality and and kind of the downward spiral of our society, we cannot lose sight of the fact that we have a God who entered into this and is willing, willingly exchanged his righteousness for our unrighteousness. And every single one of us um, deserved death, and yet he died for us. And so we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, when we wrap up verse 32 next week. But 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 17 through 21, so rich. Uh, Let me pray for us. We're we're a little over time here, but such a valuable conversation. I'd like to keep the conversation going. It's it's something I'm learning, um, and I'd, I'd like to keep 
keep it going. So, Father, we love you so much. We're grateful for who you are. Um, God, thank you that you're just a creative, good, generous God, an outgoing God, uh, curved outward in many ways, just always giving and never giving up on us, but willing to give a give us over so that we might experience just the the pain and the rock bottom of our own sin when we think that when we believe the lie that there's something out there that can offer us more than you can. Jesus, we just stop, we pause, and we just say, you're enough. Mm-hmm. You are more than enough. You are all that we need. You are our sufficiency. You're the satisfaction of our souls. And so we hunger and we thirst for you, Jesus. Um, I think of, of our song that we talk about a lot, that, that we turn our eyes upon you, Jesus. And when we do that, Lord, the things of this earth grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and your grace. So we turn our affections uh, to you and we say that you're enough, Jesus. Thank you that you would exchange our unrighteousness for your righteousness. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, my friends. Well, have a great Thursday morning and uh, we will pick up. And there's a chance that we'll finish chapter one next week. No. (laughs) So you're saying there's a chance. Yeah. (laughs) All right, guys. Have a good morning. Bye.